0: 98FM, Now That's What I Call Sport podcast.
1: It's a very big welcome to Now That's What I Call Sport on 98FM.
2: 98FM, Now That's What I Call Sport with Jamie Moore. Hello, good morning. You're very welcome to the That's What I Call Sport here on Dublin's 98FM. Coming up between now and 10am on a day in Dublin that, as you just heard, is set to get warmer. We'll be talking all things Six Nations with our main focus on Ireland's defeat to England last night.
3: That is a reality check. That's how it's going to be.
2: The voice of the Ireland head coach Joe Schmidt, the reality check of last night's defeat to England with Joe Schmidt, Captain Rory Best, Conor Murray, ex-Ireland star Shane Byrne and the man who masterminded England's win, the England head coach Eddie Jones. We'll hear from the Ireland under 20 and women's camps as well on a busy weekend of Six Nations action. The dubs are back to winning ways thankfully, but does giving the players extra time off in the off-season and a nice team holiday help their performance. We we'll lost the manager, Jim Gavin.
4: Players volunteered their time. There's a lot of demands to be in county footballer, and there's a lot of self-sacrifice. And uh, you know, if we can make it a little bit easier for them, particularly this part of the season, you know we're going to do it.
2: Where were you all the way back in 2009 when Ireland were robbed of a place at the World Cup? Against France in Paris, by the hand of Thierry Henry, the hand of Henry, an infamous moment in world football and possibly one of the most controversial days in Irish football history. Liam Lawrence was playing for the boys in green that night. He'll tell us what he remembers. I mean,
5: you sort of thinking this could be our our night, you know. We took them all away, and then obviously the rest is history with Henry, you know, cheating with the handball and and them eventually winning, which was heartbreaking.
2: We'll also have the latest on the search for missing at sea Cardiff City striker Emiliano Sala, as the latest search for him and the pilot gets underway.
1: The Cardiff have the lead that they so desired and there is a tribute to Emiliano Sala. A touching moment, five minutes on the clock, Cardiff City one Bournemouth
2: 4-0. Yeah, great stuff from the Cardiff players yesterday with a shirt with a photo of Emiliano Sala on it. We'll have more on that in a few minutes' time. So we're going to begin, though, at the Aviva Stadium.
0: 98
2: FM.
6: Now that's what I call sport.
2: So we're here at the Aviva Stadium with 500 days to go until Dublin hosts four games at Euro 2020. The FA have launched their volunteer programme to try and get the people to help out with the tournament, and we're here with former Ireland international Liam Lawrence. Liam, hello, how are you? I'm all right, thanks. Thanks for having a chat. So just a, a brief word on why you're here to try and encourage volunteers to help out when we're going to have four games here and. The Euros and hopefully two of them for our boys in green.
5: Yeah, well, that's the plan. So fingers crossed, you know, we we make it. But yeah, the the volunteer program's quite big. It's huge. You know, we need to get volunteers for a wide range of things. You know, from meeting fans at the airport, drivers to, to drive people. You know, people at the stadium, helping people find their seats. And there's a vast majority of different things that we need volunteers for. And you know, if we can get as many as we can you know, before it kicks off, it would be
2: wonderful. How big would it be if Mick McCarthy leads Ireland to the Euros and we have a couple of games here? It would be the dream, wouldn't it? You know,
5: hosting games here and us being a part of that and playing in that, you know, the atmosphere would be incredible. It would be like one big carnival, wouldn't it?
2: It would be unbelievable as well. And, and How much of an advantage would it add to us if, if we did qualify and we did have a couple of games at home as such?
5: well it would be like playing at home wouldn't it i mean if if we qualified and we're playing you know teams here i mean the, the stadium would be packed to the rafters it'd be absolutely unbelievable atmosphere so fingers crossed there's a long way to go yet but if we do make it it'd be
2: unbelievable when you played the majority of your of your ireland games it would have been around the time when we were in croke park is that correct because we just yeah. left lansdowne and we moved to croke park well this place was being built as well at those you know in those games the, the stadiums were like packed in recent years it hasn't been what did it mean to you guys as internationals to go to those stadiums at home and, and see the place packed and hopefully Mick and Robbie and, and Terry and the players now can pack this out again for this campaign
5: yeah I know when, when we played Italy at Croke Park it was packed I think it was 78 or something it was the atmosphere was ridiculous you couldn't hear yourself talk on on the pitch you know and you know when this place is full and rocking as well the Aviva it's it's fantastic. So I, I just hope that you know Mick can get the boys to qualify and we can
2: we can play some games here in the Euros. I'm sure with Mick being the manager now and and the group that we've got is a group that we feel we can do well in. And there was definitely a, you know an opinion among fans and media and a lot of people that you know the Martin O'Neill era was you know it just gone stale and lots of fans were staying away. Mick will definitely bring back that feel-good factor and people onto the seats in the stadium just behind us there.
5: I hope so. Yeah, Mick's a fantastic person. He's a, a straight down the line. You know, you know what you're going to get with him. He's honest, um, and he's a good coach and a good manager. Um, if he can, you know, get the best out of some of the young players in the squad that, that he's going to bring through, I, uh, you know, I'm quite hopeful.
2: Yeah, I spoke to Keith Andrews a couple of weeks ago at an event and. It was the day the FBI put out the happy birthday tweet for Declan Rice turning 20 <laughs> and I was sure that day that there would be an announcement that Declan Rice had declared for Ireland. I didn't think that the tweet would have gone out otherwise. Now, it hasn't happened since. Mm-hmm. What's your overall thoughts on the situation and, and you know, we're going to speak about your own story in a minute that you know, your granddad was from Kerry but you were born in England, your parents are English yet you play for Ireland and with Declan now he's still pondering that decision.
5: Yeah, it's a frustrating one because he's such a huge talent and, you know, I hope he does declare soon. I mean, he's already played, you know, for us. So um, I don't know what the, the hold-up is, what, what he's waiting for. I know he's just signed a new deal, but he's a, he's a his potential is huge. I, I, I think he's a better version of Eric Dyer, you know, already, and he's still only young. So if we could get him on board and on side, it would be a massive boost to the squad.
2: When did you first become aware that you could play for Ireland? Obviously, you knew your granddad was from Kerry, but, you, you know, you always lived in England. And when did you first become aware of interest from the Republic of Ireland? And, you know, what was in your own head making that decision? Well, you know,
5: I've got family in Athlone and, and Kerry, so, you know, I've always kept in touch with people and, and known I've had that side of, of, of Irish blood. So, once it came about, I was at Sunderland and Mick, Mick McCarthy was my manager, you know, and, and once it came about that Ireland were interested... And Mick had put me forward. There was there was never any hesitation. I I didn't dream that I'd ever get the chance to play for Ireland. So when it did come about, I took it straight away.
2: Was it something that you had to think much about, talk to family about, no. consider if England might call later on or anything like that?
5: No, no. I was still only what was I, 22, 23 at the time. But you know, as soon as Mick said there was interest there, you know, my mind was made up straight away. I didn't even think, you know, what if. now in the future it was it was done and dusted
2: is it you know something you can understand why someone like Declan Rice or you know it'll be a situation that definitely happens again where someone feels that they have to take time to consider options with no agents involved and you you said Declan played three games here I actually interviewed him after the USA game here in the mix zone and I asked him because it was that week that I think the West Ham one of the West Ham uh, co-chairmen David Gold had put out a statement saying he needs to play for England and I asked him he said, No, no, I'm Irish, I'm playing for Ireland and now he's taking this time to think. What what do you think is in his head and, and there's lots of people around him who are obviously advising him.
5: Yeah, I think, you know, the footballers get a lot of people chatting in their ears. Um, so there'll be a lot of advice given to him, you know, along the way since them games and you know some of it may be good advice, some of it may maybe bad advice. So at the end of the day it's it's up to him, it's his decision. You know, I just hope that we do get
2: him on board. Because it's something now in football, there's so much around it. There's commercial people. There's, you know, lots of players have deals with, you know, clothing companies, boot companies, agents are involved, clubs are involved. It's a scenario that there's lots of kind of voices going into a player's head to try and make him make the decision that he can't please everybody with.
5: No, you know, you know, if if he makes the decision to to play for Ireland, he's probably going to cheese a lot of people off his end that have advised him to to go and play for England. So. But at the end of the day, the decision lies with him. It's, it's what he wants to do and what he feels
2: is right, and I hope he chooses Ireland. Now, as you mentioned, you worked with Mick McCarthy at Sunderland, and you're a former teammate of Robbie Keane as well, and we know they met Declan recently and his dad, and we understand it was a positive conversation. Mick said that. You probably couldn't pick two better people to go and meet him no. to try and convince him. Then Robbie, the you know, top goal scorer and, and captain for years, and Mick, who's managed us before, is now our manager again and is such a good people person.
5: Yeah, I met Mick. You know, when I was signing for Sunderland, I met him in a hotel, and I knew within probably three or four minutes that I wanted to play for him. He's a fantastic person, and he was very honest. And you know, I don't use the word lightly, but legend—that's exactly what you describe Robbie Keane as. He's an Irish legend, as you said, top goal scorer, good guy, and he's a good coach now as well. So, see how that goes.
2: Yeah, and of course Mick and Robbie well Mick's the manager, Robbie's the coach for this campaign and then Stephen Kenny will take over and we're not sure what type of of staff Stephen will have what do you make of that whole arrangement? I'm interested to get your view because a couple of people, Kevin Coban and others have said when this news broke that they weren't sure if many Irish players based in England would know Stephen Kenny, know much about him and he would have to win them over as such
5: um, I don't think it's a case of winning them over. I mean, if he's the manager, he's the manager at the end of the day. For me, the manager uh, in a football team is the most important person in the, in the team. It's, it's it's a huge thing, and he'll command respect straight away. You know, if he's
2: calling players up to the, to the squad, they'll they'll respect him straight away. I don't think he'll need to worry about that. Yeah, and uh, you know, I know Stephen's spoken to him many times across the years on our League of Ireland podcast, and any Dundalk player you speak to said he's he's brilliant. And once he walks into the dressing room and the players understand that he's brilliant that kind of fear kind of goes straight away yeah it 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 does and you know I've spoke
5: to people when I've been doing the the coaching badges over in Dublin and Cork and they speak very highly of him so I think it's going to be a good thing
2: you made your Ireland debut Liam in that World Cup qualifier against Italy I think at Croke Park that was the campaign where we were trying to make it to the World Cup and there was a certain match in Paris where Mr Thierry Henry's hand of Henry ruined Lots of our lives, really, at yeah. that time. What do you remember? You, you played in both legs, you, you, you started. I think you came off four minutes after William Gallas scored the goal mm. in Paris. What do you remember about the day, the match, the events, the aftermath?
5: I remember it well. I remember, you know, the home game. We lost 1-0, I think it was. But then we went over to Paris and we went 1-0 up. So it was all level. Um, and we played really well. We played really well. I, I remember I put Duffer through in extra time. Um, and the keeper managed to pull off a, a great save on the edge of the box. And he was sort of thinking, this could be our, our night. You know, we took them all away. And then obviously the rest is history with Henri, you know, cheating with the handball and, and them eventually winning, which was heartbreaking because, you know, we felt that we, we deserved to, to go through.
2: Yeah, that's now 10 years ago or around that, would you believe? Where were you on the pitch when it happened? And did you instantly know that he had, that he had handled it?
5: I was sort of about five or ten yards behind him and he was running to the byline and the ball was bouncing away and he didn't use his legs to keep the ball in, but the ball stayed in, so I knew something had happened and obviously he'd it and, you know, used his hand to keep it in and then crossed it in and Gallas
2: scores. Yeah, now the person who had the best view was Shea Given and was, he was in with us last year talking about his autobiography and we spoke about it at length and about his protest and it's a very, you know worldwide famous photo of him running after the ref, tapping his hand and, yeah. like, could you you clearly couldn't believe what had happened, but when Shay, when you saw your teammate, your goalkeeper you know, reacting like that, you instantly knew he's cheated here, or he's handballed.
5: Yeah, and I knew something wasn't right, and then when obviously Shay's putting his hands up, I knew he was calling for a for handball but, you know, how can the referee and the linesman not see it if 20 odd players have, have just seen it, so look, it happened and you know we we went
2: out so do you I know the photo of of, of Thierry and Richard Dunne on the pitch at the time and he's done a lot of media work and now he's with Monaco or was with Monaco I'm not sure exactly what the situation is there but like do you resent him do you hate him if you saw him would you speak to him would you have a go at him now 10 years on
5: I don't hate him I you know things happen in football you know there's times where I've handballed it you know trying to keep it in from going from a throw in and Stuff like that. You don't know what you do in that situation yourself. I mean, if one of us had done it and kept it in and crossed it for Robbie to score, it, you just don't know what you do in that situation. He came and apologised after, but nobody really accepted it at that time, and you know, sort of ignored him. What did he say? And, and where was that apology made? He came on. Uh, we were. Some of us were sat down on the pitch, and he's walked over, and as we're discussing it, he's just apologised. You know, said sorry, and said it was handball, but. Look, it happened and nobody gave him a,
2: a smack or anything, did they? Would well, we have won that match and qualified in 107th minute when that happened if it didn't happen? We were 1-1. We'd scored. They'd beaten us here 1-0. Robbie Keane had scored there. So yeah. there was 13 minutes left of, of normal time and maybe a famous penalty shootout if, if things had stayed the same.
5: Well, you don't know. We were still looking strong. We were... Sh- that French team at the time were low on confidence and we took them all the way, we, we played really well on the night and you know, you never know what could have happened in that 13 minutes as you say and you know if we'd have took them to penalties who knows, you just never know, I know it's all ifs and buts but you never know
2: What was Mr Giovanni Trapattoni like because you know I love interviewing football managers and football players and I didn't enjoy doing his media conferences because his English wasn't great and mm-hmm. back in the days before we did video right you had to edit the audio and he, Maybe the news guy wanted a twenty-second clip of Trapattoni talking about a match, and he'd ramble on for a minute in broken English to try and make his points. And I understand he made some sort of a speech afterwards in the dressing room, maybe a bit of Italian and a bit of English about Henri the chief or the rat or something or something
5: like that. Yeah, he had a few hard and harsh words to say about him. Um, he, he was just gutted for us, you know, because he'd seen how close we'd gone, you know, and, and we'd played some some good football against some good teams at times and. You know, to get that close, he was, you could see him, he was dejected and devastated, and there was, he couldn't have a go at us. We'd given absolutely everything. So, but he, I like Trapatone, I've got, got a lot of respect for him.
2: Yeah, and at the time, of course, he led us to the Euros a couple of years later as well and, and did an amazing job before he finished up. Is that the one thing you look back on in your own career, club and country, and go, that's the one massive, massive moment that's a big regret for me and all of my teammates? It probably has to be.
5: Of course, of course. You know, the, the, the chance to. To qualify there and go to a World Cup would have just been, you know,
2: every player dreams of it, but it wasn't to be and we had to move on And speaking of moving on Lee and very finally we're moving on to this Euro 2020 qualification campaign starting off later on this year in March, in fact we're away to Gibraltar first in a tiny stadium, there's only going to be 800 Irish fans there and then home to Georgia on the 26th of March here, hopefully there's 52,000 screaming fans we've got Georgia, Gibraltar, Denmark and Switzerland in the group And we've got hope to, to qualify. What's your, your thoughts on, on kind of the nostalgia of Nick coming back and Robbie coming back, kind of parked, and us doing the job on the pitch in those eight matches to make it? It's going
5: to be an interesting one. Uh, the, for me, the, the group, you know, is winnable. Uh, you know, them games. I know Switzerland are a good side with some dangerous players. So are Denmark. But you know, the the first two games, if we if we win both of them, you know, it puts us in a, a
2: great position. And you never know what can happen as we go along. And as well, if we, you know, those two games, Georgia and Gibraltar, are massively winnable games, and you've got six points on the on the board, and you know probably that Denmark will beat those two teams, and Switzerland probably will as well, so they really are important, every game is important to win, but particularly given that they are the two weaker teams in the group to start with.
5: They are the, the weaker teams, you know, it's international football, so there's no gimmies, there's no easy games, if you like, but they are winnable, big time, and... You know, I would probably say Denmark and Switzerland will go and get results against them as well. So we have to go and get results against them.
2: How are you now as an Ireland fan? I know you're doing a lot of media work as well, but you're still a fan and a former player watching the big games, whether you be at them or whether you be on TV. Because everyone really, really wants the team to win, and and you, you're no different. And, and hopefully, over the next kind of eight months, and that's how short mixed tenure could be. If, if we don't qualify, it could be just eight months. Like no,
5: I know, but it's it's going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to it, and with Robbie going in there as well, I think it's it's going to be something fresh. I think he'll freshen things up, and I think he'll Mick and Robbie will definitely get the best out of some of the young talent that, that's coming through. Liam thanks a million thank you.
2: Just 500 days to go or just under now until Dublin hosts four games at Euro 2020, hopefully two of them involving our boys in Green, Ireland and this week the FAI along with Liam Lawrence, Anya Gorman and Christy McGilliot who we're going to hear on the next two weekends and that's what I call sport, launch the FAI's Euro 2020 volunteer programme with opportunities for over 1400 people to get involved in a variety of different ways to help our capital city host some games in the Euros. For more info just search the volunteer programme on FAI.ie. Now on the way after the break on the That's What I Call Sport, the dubs, to search for Emiliano Sala and the Six Nations.
0: 98FM's, now that's
2: what I call sport,
0: with the Liverpool Football Club Store, Islac
2: Centre, 98FM. Good morning, you're welcome back to the That's What I Call Sport, 25 past nine, it's Sunday morning in Dublin, a chilly morning, so if you're out walking the dogs or for your morning walk, uh, wrap up warm there, get the snood on, the hat, the gloves, etc. Thankfully, Nathan, the air conditioning in our studio isn't working, so we're nice and warm.
7: Well, it's the very uh, seldom morning that that actually happening is a good thing. So yeah, it's good.
2: Now uh, let's firstly talk about the Dubs, Nathan, and after losing their opening if I press this button you might be able to hear yourself can you hear yourself now? is that any better? I can hear myself now sorry about that I had the wrong button pressed for you I didn't want you to hear your voice thanks very much I appreciate it anyway the Dubs the footballers at Croker last night and back to winning ways after losing in the opening weekend of the league last weekend Jimmy Gavin's men were winners last night
7: yes obviously they lost to Monaghan uh, last week they had an impressive 115 to 7 point win over Galway at Crow Park last night it was a disappointing first half for Gavin's men however it wasn't until the half hour mark that Dublin actually took the lead but they looked a completely different team in the second half They limited to just one point from play. Next up is Kerry Interley next Saturday and Jim Gavin said this after the game. First of all, Jim Gavin, congratulations. The only thing we can call it is a great recovery after last weekend.
4: Uh, yeah, wouldn't we look at it that in that regard? Like, we, do, we do take each game in isolation. It's, it's the National Football League um, and, and we're, 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 we think it's a great competition but um, like we're only back um, we're only back three weeks today actually from a holiday so you know, we have a lot of work to do and, and uh, you know, in some ways... It's, I'm not being disrespectful, it's, it's part of our work getting into the season, um, pre-season you, you could call it, so um, I thought we did really well up in, up in St. Phoenix Park, particularly in the first half, you know, we spent up six points up at one stage, but uh, legs got a little bit tired and then obviously, um, you know, Monon showed their class in the second in the second half and were deserved winners in that game, but you know, we went home, great work done, but um, uh, and then we just took this game in isolation, um, playing a, you know, a Galway team. That, again, we're missing a couple of, a couple of their first-teamers. Um, there would be a different proposition later on in the league, that's for sure. But um, uh, no, again, we're just really happy with a good workout, and in particular, you know, a good second-half performance. The first half was a bit, a little bit um, disjointed, uh, and saying so that wouldn't be good enough for, for the future games. But overall, third week back, we've got to be happy with that.
7: Uh, Interesting that you mentioned that you're only just back, you know, and that's actually something that's getting increasingly rare with inter-county managers. That you kind of you allow your players to come back in their own time. That some of them even are still away, and some are still abroad. And in one sense, that holistic approach, it's obviously working.
4: Um, Yeah, well, we've always taken that approach. I mean, if a player wants to to get an extra break in the season, that's his his choice, his prerogative. He has to fight for his chairs when he comes back, and and you can see tonight some players stepped up and really want to hold on to it. So that's a great position for me and my management team to be in. Um, But yeah, we've always taken a holistic approach to to it. You know, players volunteer their time. There's a lot of demands to be into county footballer, and there's a lot of self sacrifice. And uh, if we can make it a little bit easier for them, particularly this part of the season, you know, we're going to do
2: it. The Dublin manager, Jim Gavin, speaking tonight at FM's Moira Trassani-Chalig at Croker yesterday. Nathan, yesterday was a double header at Croker and uh, our ladies team in the Little National Football League began with a defeat.
7: Yeah, it was a loss in their first game of the National Football League. It was a one eleven to 1-7 shock loss against Donegal at Croke Park. It was a great second half goal by Lindsay Davey, kept the girls in blue in it, but Donegal proved too much for the All-Ireland champions.
2: Yeah, the Hurlers looking to make it two wins from two later as well. Yes, they are indeed. They travel to O'Connor Park
7: to face awfully. Matty Kenny's looking to make it two from two in the second round of the National Hurling League. Throw in there is at two o'clock.
2: Now we're uh, keeping the Cardiff City striker Emiliano Sala in our prayers and uh, the pilot of that doomed plane that. Unfortunately, still hasn't been found. But there's an update a few minutes ago. The latest search for the new striker for Cardiff, who never even played a game for them, is underway.
7: Yeah, uh, he just recently completed a 15 million pound move. It's obviously when he was flying back from France to Cardiff that the plane went down, apparently. But the latest on that is an underwater search around the Channel Islands of Guernsey is set to begin at nine o'clock this morning. Obviously, 324 thousand pounds was raised by footballers and fans alike to help fund the search after they officially called it off. But fingers crossed, they can find something.
2: Yeah, now some really nice stuff this weekend for Salah and for his family as well. And his former club Nantes were playing in the French Premier League, and they were playing against India at the end. And the match was stopped for a round of applause. So let's have a listen to how that went on.
1: He's kicking the ball out for a reason there, Cabella. Just nine minutes is up on the
4: clock. And there's gonna be a round of applause for Salah night, it is an emotional night, but different types of emotion. There's still hope for the Argentinian striker here, more than anywhere else on the planet, in the football planet.
2: Yeah, the match stopped there in the ninth minute in France. Now, yesterday, Cardiff City struggling in a relegation battle in the Premier League, but they beat Bournemouth 2-0. Bobby Reid scored both goals. The first of those was celebrated in a very special way. The
1: Cardiff have the lead that they so desired, and there is a tribute to Emiliano Salah. A touching moment. Five minutes on the clock. Cardiff City won Bournemouth
2: Hill. Yeah, the search for Salah and the pilot David Ibbotson continues at the moment. Now, the Cardiff City fans were in full voice. Here's a video from Twitter singing the Salah song. <laughs> Sing a song for Salah, We Will Never Let You Go. A lovely song by the Cardiff City fans. And after the match, the manager, Neil Warnock, who was quite emotional walking off the pitch, actually tears in his eyes, uh, spoke to BT Sport about his feelings on an emotional day. Their first home game since their new striker disappeared. We saw you a little bit choked at the end
0: of that. Right. It meant a lot to you today. <laughs> it did. I. I was all right until the crowd were amazing all, all the way around. And uh, it's been a very emotional 10, ten days. And uh, it just got to me in the end. I mean, can't be helped, can it? Yeah. One of those things. You know, I said to the lads in there, I know he's not here today, um, but Emiliano today would have been proud of us all today. You know, I thought we acted as a football club amazing pleased for the chairman Mehmet Dalman he's been through a lot in Kenchu um, so it's great for all of us now we can get on with the season and we know, you know, we've told the other teams above us that, you know, we're not going to give up without a fight. And you've got across a big emotional obstacle today yeah. as well. I mean, we can't have that much more. I mean, in, in my career, to have the Leicester City thing in the first game here and, and then this on top when I, you know, I've known the lad a few couple of months and you're bound to get attached to him, you know. So it, it you know, it was really, it hit home, uh, walking across the pitch after the game and, uh, they hope that's life, isn't it? So, a real sense of pride in Cardiff, Cardiff City today. I'm proud to be the manager, definitely.
2: Yeah, lovely words from the Cardiff manager, Neil Warnock. And it's so nice in such a sad situation to see football clubs and fans and communities really coming together to try and help for the search uh, for Emiliano Sala and uh, the pilot as well, David Ibbotson. So, uh, hopefully, that search goes well today. Leighton, in other news, the Super Bowl takes place tonight, and I am not one who jumps on the Super Bowl bandwagon. I know a lot of Irish people do actually watch the American football every Sunday evening. They say up to all hours, and then they go to work or school or college and they fall asleep at their desk. But it's on tonight.
7: It's on tonight. Yet, yeah, half 11 is the start time at like obviously our time, that's obviously six o'clock, whatever it is, over in um, America. But yeah, I wouldn't be mad on staying up for four hours, to be honest, to see the LA Rams take on the New England Patriots. The halftime show does, however, have Maroon 5, so if you want to record it, you might see our favourite band play, Jay.
2: Yes, thanks very much. My favourite band are actually Coldplay, but thanks a million, or Aslan. But anyway, three fun facts about the Super Bowl. According to the US Department of Agriculture, Super Bowl Sunday is America's, wait for us, second largest food consumption day I mean, wonder why some of the Americans are uh, a bit large. That's the reason why only Thanksgiving beats it. So they eat more food on the day of Super Bowl than they do like on Christmas. But they do that.
7: For every game, like I have a friend who lives in uh, Dallas, goes to all the uh, the games in Texas, and they pull up hours beforehand at big barbecues and eat as much as they can carry, I suppose. But I suppose I wouldn't wouldn't be opposed to that if I lived in Texas either.
2: Now, Super Bowl 1 was played on January 15th, 1967. The ticket cost $12, which, with adjusted inflation, is $89 today. If you want to buy a ticket now, neither on the black market for uh, the match, it's, well, if you want to buy an official ticket, $2,300. The black market could be about 20000 For one ticket, ticket. 2,300,
7: for one ticket. Yeah,
2: we're going, the three of us, let's go. Yeah,
7: hang on, yeah, I'll whip that
2: out. Uh, Now, last night, not last night, sorry, Friday night, the uh, Irish ladies began their Six Nations campaign and Nathan, they were absolutely hammered by England.
7: Oh, very, very disappointing result for the girls in green. They were hammered, 51 points to seven by England at Donnybrook. They were 34 points down when a penalty try was rewarded, being the only consolation for Ireland. The Ireland captain, Kira Griffin, spoke to 98FM's Moira trasini
4: yeah, look, it's a disappointing night, I suppose. The score, I don't think the score reflects the battle that was out in that pitch either. But that's up to us being clinical and getting more phases together. But I think on the flip side, we did some good attacking rugby at times. We held possession. There was some good, some good go for ball. But it's just building on that and making that a, a more regular part of our game. We're disappointed, but the big thing is that we used to bounce back for next Friday and we've to look be critical in ourselves in areas, but also building our positives as well and building that forward and getting everyone ready for Friday because that's the next test. what will you be building on now between now and next. Week. Week. So, it's picking the bodies up, making sure recovery is key, such a short window, um, getting more building phases. I suppose our discipline is a big one inside our own half, but there are a few things to pick up on. We'll get ready to build now for Friday.
2: Yeah, the Ireland Ladies team back in action for their second match next Friday. Now, the under 20s, thankfully, were winners on Friday night. Yep, against the same team
7: that beat uh, the seniors and the women's as well against England for the first time in three years in their 35 27 bonus point win at Energia Park in Donnybrook. Four choice score for the boys in green. Dylan Tierney bagging two before Cormac Foley crossed the whitewash late on. A great result for Noel McNamara's men.
2: Yes, Ireland 20, England 32 was the final score in the men's game at the Viva Stadium last night. A first loss for Ireland and Joe Schmidt's team in 12 home matches, that's four years. The last of which was actually against England and uh, really disappointing stuff and everybody of course was expecting Ireland to beat England to win the Six Nations to win the Grand Slam to win the World Cup and this has just been a little reality check for uh, the Irish rugby fans Uh, one of those being the Ireland head coach Joe Schmidt who was reacting to claims from some journalists and people watching the game that Ireland were physically bullied
3: yeah I think it's something that happened two years two years ago to us uh, against the All Blacks I think we got we got bullied here and I think you've, you've got to be prepared to, to give as good as you get, and I don't think we did tonight. Um, yeah, you know, I know that the players are disappointed that that we didn't probably uh, have quite the same physical edge that they did. Now, yeah, you know, we don't have the same personalities as well, so we've got to make sure that our our solutions are uh, that we get better pressure on the ball. I don't think we got a turnover on the ground tonight. Uh, there was very little that was allowed to happen on the ground anyway. There was a lot of people off their feet. So it, it turned into that, that muddy sort of battle that, uh, that is very difficult to contest in. And then on the back of that, if that's slow, uh, it's very hard for us to get on the front foot. And, and it allowed them to get off the line. And, and I think physically, when you're getting off the line defensively and you've got guys either side of you and you're and you bringing a real physical intent... Uh, they got excited about it I, you know uh, there was quite a lot of volume um, with them uh, kind of steering each other up and, and getting each other off the line and uh, then they backed that up with a real a real physical intent
2: Now the man who masterminded England's win and a man who isn't very popular among Irish circles because he likes to kind of stirred the pot a bit and before the match he claimed that Ireland were the best team in the world and that England were going to find it so hard to beat them but they did it's Eddie Jones the England manager oh,
3: I think the intensity in which we played uh, yeah, when you play against Ireland in, at home you know it's going to be a physical game and so we came prepared for that and we knew we had to win that battle to win the game yeah, some games are immensely physical some more tactical um, but we went in there we ripped in uh, probably shaded them a little bit in that area and you know, we know they're a top team they're well coached, well drilled but I thought our intensity particularly in the first part of the game was outstanding
2: you Now a man who really agrees with that is Ireland's Conor Murray. Ireland conceded their first try after just 90 seconds and it was downhill from there
6: we started poorly um, We started poorly Gave up a few easy scores um, England were on it They were on it uh, Ahead of us today and um, You know We found it hard To get momentum um, Made a couple of mistakes And then ended up Chasing again We actually we got back into at half time we thought we'd settle things down and weathered the storm and thought we'd come out and, and change things a little bit but um it wasn't to be and and we ended up chasing and then, you know, when you're chasing a game like that from deep um you know, you 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 know, the, the error, errors will get um, you know, seized upon and you know take advantage of that and then I thought you were really good, especially in the air as well. You know, they they cleaned up in the air. Um, we struggled to get in the contest today and um, you know, they they, they took it took you know, took the advantage out of that as well. Um, um, they kicked really well as well so overall we were, we were fairly beaten I think and, and again I think they were just um, a bit more pumped than we were today for, for whatever reason we, we'll we we'll go through with we'll a fine we'll tooth comb and see why that was um, you know we had a great week of preparation uh, two weeks of preparation um, and for whatever reason we were a little bit off it today and you know they're, they're top side and, and, and they took advantage and you know, I think they, they fairly deserved their win so it's, it's just disappointing from Ireland.
2: Yeah really honest stuff there from Conor Murray speaking to 98FM at the Aviva Stadium yesterday after that defeat to England on the way after the break Week. We'll continue our analysis of the game. We'll hear the full story of the match from Will O'Callaghan, who was there watching it for us. Shane Byrne will join us, the ex Ireland Lencer and Lions man. Also, how he got on climbing Mount Kilimanjaro and his Legends team beating England in that charity game on Friday night. And the Ireland captain Rory Best will help us preview next weekend's game against Scotland.
0: 98
2: FMs. Now that's what I call sport. With the Liverpool Football Club Store, Ilex like Centre, 98 FM. Shane Byrne, welcome back to Dublin's 98 FM. Shane, how are you? I'm good, Jamie, you? Great stuff, Shane. Thanks a million for a chat now. Of course, Shane, former Ireland, Lion and Leinster man, but he's been a busy boy over the last couple of weeks, apart from being at the Aviva Stadium last night. Unfortunately, watching Ireland beaten by England 32-20, but on Friday night, his Ireland legends beat England in a charity match, and the previous week, he climbed the world-famous Mount Kilimanjaro. So, Shane, it's been a busy (laughs) couple of weeks for you, sir. You're not really retired (laughs) after all.
8: No, no. I don't know whether you'd call uh, what I'm doing now, but, uh, yeah, the, the uh, a lot of busyness surrounded by charities and doing what I can, you know, but uh, challenging times, there's no doubt about that.
2: Yeah, let's first talk about the climb, Shane. You were on yeah. with us a couple of weeks ago, looking ahead to, I think, a Leinster game, and you were heading off the next day to go and reach the summit of Kilimanjaro, and that's exactly what you did?
8: Yeah, absolutely amazing experience. It was, you know, something that... Very, very hard, very challenging. I'm delighted I did it, but I certainly haven't been bitten by the mountaineering bulk. But um, yeah, you start off down in the jungle and it's it's 30 plus degrees and then up top it's minus 20. So the extremes are just unbelievable. And, you know, six kilometers up, you've got the full effects of altitude and everything like that. So really happy I did it. But uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not doing that again. Yeah, and a fantastic <laughs> no photo, way.
2: Shane, a fantastic photo of yourself and a couple of the other lads at the very top. And I seem to remember a monster flag of some sort there. Surely you would have banned that.
8: Well, Marcus Horn, unfortunately, had the monster flag there. Yeah, I couldn't do much about that, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, look, we did it for the IRFU Charitable Trust and uh, a lot of money was raised. The whole group got up there, 32 people, which was absolutely amazing. Myself, Marcus Horn, uh, Mike McCarthy and Stephen Ferris, where the ex-internationals who were there and then uh, loads of other people raised and came along. Amazing an experience and, and a fantastic group of people doing it. But, uh, yeah, we all got there. It's just it's just one of those things when you're up there, you're just thinking, wow, this
2: is fantastic. What was the view actually like? And what could you see?
8: Well, uh, all through the time when you're climbing up there, it's, it's amazing. Like, you can see right down into the valleys because it's a freestanding mountain. Like, it's a, like a... Traditional volcano that you see drawn in pictures. And uh, so you can see right to the bottom a lot. Unfortunately, when we summited, clouds came in. So the views weren't fantastic because you can't stay up there for too long because it's so cold. But uh, it's still, look, you were very aware of where you were, you were very aware of what you were doing. And, um, you know, just an amazing experience.
2: So, Shane, you arrived back from the climb and straight away into training. A fierce training camp, I understand, by the Arden legends to play England <laughs> on Friday night for a number of charities, which we'll speak about in a minute. And a 41-20 win, so the training paid off. Yeah, no, it
8: was great. I don't know what kind of training you're thinking we were doing, but yeah, listen, fantastic. We, we're, This is the 11th year we've been running the game. We've raised over a million uh, euros for charities, mainly interplayers' funds. And uh, yeah, it was a great night. Nice, Loads of people braved what was chilly weather. Thankfully, it was dry. And we had a great day. We went out and we played the game. The, the rivalry against England, as we all know, is still very, very healthy, no matter what age you get to. And, uh, yeah, great day, great event. And raised a good bit of money for brilliant charities. I suppose a special cause this year because we were doing it for Doddy Weir and his um, his foundation. My name is Doddy uh, Foundation, which is desperately trying to find a cure for motor neuron disease, which he's been diagnosed with, uh, you know, two years ago. And as we know, it's, it's a terminal disease at the moment, which is an absolute travesty. So hopefully there's some kind of, we're helping in raising a bit of money that hopefully they can find some sort of cure.
2: Yeah, and for more information as well on the game and the charities, you can visit Rugby Legends E on Twitter with some great photos and videos from the game on Friday night as well. And Shane, as well as the match and, you know, the cause of charity to get all the yeah. players together, both former Irish teammates and former, you know, English opposition players, I'm sure it's nice to meet up every year and uh, maybe a couple of points had before the big one. Uh,
8: <laughs> yes, there was. There was definitely a bit of celebration. It's more celebration that you managed to get through the game <laughs> than anything else. But look, yeah, look, we we raise a lot of money for charity, but we make no uh, excuses for it. It's still a reason for us to get together, see pals who we haven't seen in a long time, and you know, just have a natter over a pint, which is great
2: on honour, that's what I call sport on 98FM. It's Jamie Moore and former Ireland man Shane Byrne here on Sunday. Now it's time to focus on what happened at the Aviva Stadium last night. Let's hear about all the action. 98FM's Will
1: O'Callaghan was there. England have secured their first away win against Ireland in the Six Nations since 2013 and have ended the defending champions' chances of back-to-back Grand Slams. The 2017 champions, who were second from bottom last season, have picked up a bonus point 32-20 victory here at the Aviva Stadium denying Ireland even a losing bonus point. In an error-strewn encounter, the visitors scored two of their tries in the opening half wing Johnny May crossing after just 90 seconds and fullback Elliot Daly pouncing on a loose ball after Jack Nola put pressure on Jacob Stockdale sandwiched between those tries was a keen Healy Irish effort which was converted by Johnny Sexton who had also kicked a penalty as England led 17-10 at the interval Sexton kicked a 55th minute penalty to give the host some hope but Henry Slade put the game to bed in the 66th minute with his first try successfully chasing down a chip forward to grab the third try for Eddie Jones side, Own Farrell slotting a 78-minute penalty to push England's lead out to 25 points to 13. Slade then ensured England would leave with five points by stepping up to intercept a Sexton pass and run the ball home. Ulster scrum half John Cooney marked his Six Nations debut with a late consolation try, but England went on to win by 32 points to 20. England have shown they haven't gone away at the outset of a World Cup year, while Ireland now need to regroup for a trip to Scotland next week. Full-time at the Aviva Stadium, it's Ireland 20, England 32. Shane, I watched the game on
2: Virgin Media on TV. I know you are at the Aviva Stadium and Dave McIntyre, the commentator, said at the very end, England arrived with a point to prove and boy, they've done just that. Yeah, listen, it was,
8: it was really... The statement was made at the very, very start of the game. Like, I know that there was a try scored within 90 seconds, but even before that, the physicality that the English got stuck into the Irish and for some reason, there was just no response from Ireland, nothing. And, um, you know, there were so many unforced errors, you know, balls going to ground, soft tackles. You know, I thought our t- tactics were bad. We, our kicking game was poor. and uh, We continue to do it constantly throughout the game. And it's just, you got to hand it to England. Like you, you can say that Ireland just had one of those days, but you've got to hand it to England. The pressure they put Ireland under was the main reason that Ireland were making the mistakes.
2: And Shane, there was a huge amount of hype and build-up, not of course from the Ireland camp themselves, but from the fans, from us, the media, the journalists, anybody watching the game about this was Ireland's year to win the Six Nations again, to win the Grand Slam again, and then to go on, of course, to win the World Cup in Japan. And this performance and the defeat to England will really just bring everybody back down to earth a little bit and realise that if Ireland are going to do what we all want them to do this year, they're going to need to really perform at the levels that they have over recent times, which they just didn't do with Eviva last night. Yeah, correct. And then maybe, just maybe, it's
8: a timely reminder. Maybe it's something that, you know, can be looked back upon and say, look, it was a good thing that they maybe were getting a little ahead of themselves or weren't focused as much as they should be, not being able to live with the favourite tag. But that's something that if Ireland is really going to chase the streams and get to where they need to do, it is one box they have to still remain. to tick is, is be able to wear that. Favours tag going into games and fulfil exactly what it is it's meant to happen because they were poor um, yesterday and it it really was something that you know you just couldn't see away the way they were playing with the mistakes they were making they just couldn't get back into the game because England not once did they step down they they just tore into Ireland they did exactly what Ireland have been doing to England over the last few years. And, uh, unfortunately, it was the the shoe was on the other foot and there was absolutely no response.
2: Shane, I wanted to ask you about what we think was the key moment in the game. Now, I think Ireland probably would have, would have lost either way, but at the time, Ireland were 17-13 down and England scored a try and the referee went to the TMO, which is basically the video referee, to check if the try was offside which means that the person who scored the try was ahead of the kicker and it was determined after you know the TMO looked at it that he wasn't ahead that he was level yeah. but clearly in the build up just before the kick the pass by the England player was definitely forward and the referee and the, the TV ref decided not to check it. Why was that? Surely they would check all aspects of a try if they're checking anything.
8: Only if it's pointed out you know that um, they can't spend their time just going through every single facet of it. It's it's something that, you know, Rory Best, if he's thought of it, you know, if he thought he was aware of that forward pass, he has to go up and bring their attention to it. When you're looking at it, please have a look at that pass beforehand. But, Jamie, I think you got it dead right. It it's, it, it is irrelevant towards the game, really, because Ireland didn't deserve to win that game. They, you know, England came out they played the better game. They, you know, and Ireland just didn't respond. And that's that's the main thing. Is, is that regardless of simple decisions or things that could have gone for or against us, it's just simply that you know England outplayed us.
2: Let's hear now from the Ireland captain Rory Best.
9: I don't necessarily think it's a wake up call. You know, we always talk about trying to continually improve, and I think we were under no illusions how good England were. I think the, the disappointing thing for us is the way we started, and. When you play internationals away from home, especially, you want to get a foothold in the game early. We let England get that and then we couldn't we didn't ever get back off onto the front foot. And I think whenever that's happened to you, it is really, really difficult. So I don't think we we necessarily need wake-up calls to want to improve. We, we look at this and and we look at the ways that we can get better and we have to get better, but like we prepared well and we prepared to go out and win a game, and, and we'll have to look now this week as to how we can make sure that whatever happened in the preparation, with all our detail, we just didn't get the physical aids that we're used to bringing.
2: Shane, how will the players be feeling waking up on Sunday morning, this morning, after that defeat last night? They'll be sore. Clearly, England, you know, were, were massively physical in the game, but how will the players be feeling mentally, physically, you know, the morning after this game, and now only six days away from their next one?
8: Yeah, pretty terrible, now tell you the truth. I... For two reasons, I would say, you know, mentally it does take a knock out of you playing a game like that, you know, going down the way they did in the manner in which they did. Uh, but also, Joe will go through them for a shortcut because there are a lot of things that just seemed didn't seem to be right mentally, and um, that's going to be Joe's challenge to get up for the game in six days. days' time is is that the Scots are dangerous, you know, and Ireland have to be back to at their best because this Six Nations could slip away very, very fast, you know, with results going against you, if they can't find exactly the way they were playing,
2: say, even just a couple of months ago in the November Internationals. Yeah, the other results from the Six Nations this weekend on Friday night, Wales came from behind, they were 16-0 down, but beat France 24-19 at the Stade de France in Paris. The other match was Scotland 33 Italy 20, not a, a massive surprise there, and Murrayfield in Murrayfield and Ireland beaten 32-20 by England at the Aviva Stadium. Shane, next weekend on Saturday, Scotland Ireland, Murrayfield at 2.15 on Saturday at a quarter to five, it's Italy against Wales, which we expect Wales to win that one, and then Sunday, England against France, so another fascinating weekend on, on Weekend but uh, our Ireland team need to go and win in Scotland yes they have to
8: get I suppose the bus back on track or whatever way you want to put it they really do because it's not something that they have to reinvent the wheel they just have to get their heads together and just be aware that sides will now think that they found a weak underbelly at the Irish side which is just go at them really really physically at the start they have to find a way to cope with that change the game plan and deal with it and move on because You know, they're still a fantastic team. You know, they became second in the world in November and that's, you know, that side hasn't changed. The guts of the team is still there. There's absolutely no reason that they can't get everything back on track.
2: Shane, finally, the big talking point of the week was the England defence coach saying that Ireland were boring and the exact phrase that Ireland were going to bore the shit out of england i will bleep that because we're on the morning of course but what did you make of those comments and the game itself i was watching it with a couple of mates and you know where casual rugby fans were not experts which is why you're on the show of course but it wasn't the most entertaining game to watch are we boring and if we're boring does joe schmidt and the players care once they're winning
8: ah well no listen it, that's one thing that's you know winning is all that matters really and the manner of how you're winning okay yeah it's lovely to play fantastic rugby but you do what it what it takes to win a game that's what's important and no matter what the style of rugby is necessary to win that's what you do and, and unfortunately that's what Ireland didn't do yesterday and they just need to get find it again because whether it was a confidence thing whether mentally they didn't get it right you know they're still the same players but you can always tell one of the greatest tells in the game is basically the first couple of contacts. In an international there shouldn't be any ground given and unfortunately at the weekend every single contact England got the
2: gain line and that has to stop. Great stuff Shane Byrne. Thanks a million. No worries. Yeah great stuff there from Shane Byrne. Now we'll leave you with the words of the Ireland captain Rory Best who was asked at yesterday's post-match press conference after that defeat against England if their confidence will be massively damaged heading into the rest of this campaign, which starts and continues next Saturday, away to Scotland at Murrayfield at 2.15.
9: When we've put together wins in a row, you know, we we never got ahead of ourselves. We never thought that we're the finished article because we want to strive to be better and and this is no different now. You know, this is, I suppose, how we respond will determine whether it's a a bump on the road. Or whether it's something more than that, but like I know with with the group of players we have in here that they're they're hurting in there, and, and as you would expect. But the first thing we'll do tomorrow evening when we get back together is is we will look at how we can get better, and and that is, I suppose, ultimately that result now, we can't change it but what we can change is how we react from it.
2: Now that's it for another week on That's What I Call Sport thank you very much for listening and to all of our guests more from all of them in the podcast section of 98fm.com, thanks very much as well to Nathan Whelan and Keith Byrne behind the scenes we're back live next Sunday from 9am folks we'll chat to you then, see you later, bye bye 98fms, now that's what I call sport, with the Liverpool Football Club Store,
0: I Centre, 98fm, enjoy the rest of
9: your Sunday folks, bye bye
6: 98 FMs. Now that's what I call sport.
9: Get the full show every Sunday morning
8: from 9, only on 98FM.